Amen. Well, as we revitalize this church and today we plant this new worshipping congregation, I wanted to take some time to inspire us, I guess, with a vision for what the church can be. A church is something that people have got different ideas about, maybe different experiences of through history. Maybe this is your first time here today and this is your experience of church. I wanted to take the next few weeks to look back into our history for the sake of being equipped in the present, for the sake of Berry's future. I believe that as we look back into the Bible for what is, the, what is the church, what can the church be, that God will equip us now to be his church today and that that will change the future of our community here in Berry. Our vision as a church is that it would be in every sphere of Berry as it is in heaven. We've already sung that today. We read it in the Lord's Prayer that earth would become more like heaven, that God's reality, God's domain would invade and permeate more and more here on earth. And we obviously, being here, loving this town, we pray that that would happen in Bury, that it would permeate every bit of society. We want to be a church which is wholehearted in its devotion to Jesus, which sees people grow into his image, and a church which multiplies and sees new people come to faith in him. That's our vision in a nutshell. It's our hope. It's the thing that we're moving towards and working towards. And through this series, I'm hoping that we catch a vision for what the church was and so what we can be here today so that our vision comes a step closer. Our message series comes from a passage in Acts. So if you've got a Bible or you have one on your phone, you might want to turn there now so we can read through it. Acts uh, is a book which is all about the beginnings of the church. We've called this series Irresistible because I think what we see in the pages of scripture here is a church community that was irresistible because when Jesus ascended back to heaven, there were about 120 people who followed him with their lives. And yet about three centuries later, church was the dominant force in the western world how on earth did a small ragtag group of people following Jesus this Messiah from Nazareth where nothing good was supposed to come how on earth did they go to be this amazing force which transformed the world and the effects of which still linger on today In Acts, we see what happens when a community of people give themselves fully to Jesus, are open to the work of his spirit, and seek to live their lives for him. And I think it's irresistible because people who looked on that saw something that they didn't see anywhere else in society. And they said, I want to be a part of that for themselves. And life by life, and family by family, and town by town, the message spread, and the kingdom grew from this ragtag group of about 120 to this huge force which changed the world as we know it. As we read and reflect on the passage that we're going to read in a moment today and over the coming weeks, as we hear about the different ingredients that made up this church community, and as we open ourselves to God and ask that he would do these things again in us today, my prayer is that we would become an irresistible kind of community. A community that people in Bury see and hear about, 
They come and be a part of it here and they see something amongst us which is different from anything else that they've seen. It's different from their workplace or their friendship group. It's different from their hobby or whatever they do with the rest of their week. My prayer is that people who see us would see a little glimpse of Jesus himself and that we would be an irresistible community that grows. My prayer is that something would spark in us as we go about reading and applying this passage and that people in this town would see and notice it and want a bit of it for themselves. So if you're in Acts, let's go to the end of chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. But just before we read it, I want to give you some backstory about what this book is and where it sits in the big story of God. Acts is a book that's written by a guy called Luke. Luke wrote one of the Gospels, which we read all about the life of Jesus. And this is kind of part two, if you like, of his message. So it's not so much about Jesus' activity on earth, because it begins with Jesus being ascended. But it is about the activity of God's Holy Spirit, whom Jesus sent and filled the disciples and set them off to follow him. Luke was a doctor from Antioch, which uh, we would now call Syria, and he was a single guy. Acts is all about the origins of the church. It's about our history. It's about our DNA. It's about how this thing that we are a part of here today got going in the first place. And as we read it, let's remember that these are our brothers and sisters that we're talking about. That those people up on the wall round there set this church off. And that we have just kind of picked up the baton from them, if you like, as they passed it down through the centuries. We've picked it up and we will pass it on, hopefully, in a better state, in a way that glorifies God. We're not talking about other kind of people. We're talking about our brothers and sisters, those that worship Jesus in just the same way that we've done now. Those who heard this message, received it for themselves, and then passed it on to other people. Let's also remember that This is about the same Holy Spirit who's here amongst us today. The same Spirit who was poured out at Pentecost just before the passage that we read in a moment. The same Spirit is here amongst us today. God's very presence is here. And we can open ourselves to him, receive more of him, and then be changed to do the things that he did in the same way as the apostles who we'll read about now. I should say before we begin that there's a danger, I guess, of putting one church on a pedestal. No church is perfect because it's made up of imperfect people. This church won't be perfect because I'm a part of it and I will lead it in a fallen kind of a way. I'm doing everything I can to become more and more like Jesus. But there will be bits that I get wrong and I'm sorry for that right from the outset. This isn't about putting this church community on a pedestal and saying we've just got to get back to being like that. But it is about saying that these followers of Jesus were closest to him, that they saw him face to face, that there was a small gap between them hearing his message and them doing the things that we're going to read about now. And so a little bit like, you know, Chinese whispers where things get passed on and they sort of distort and change. These people were as close as possible to Jesus in time and space. So though it wasn't perfect, it does have a message to give us today. It was this church that laid the foundations for the church in the first few centuries after Jesus, which went out from Jerusalem, extended throughout the known world, overcame persecution, and took root in a variety of places. There's a sociologist called Rodney Stark, and he puts it like this. 
that the church rose from a marginal movement to the dominant religious force in the Western world. And we're going to see in the passage that we'll read just in a moment how that came to be. So Acts begins, as I've said, with Jesus returning to heaven, sending his Holy Spirit on this group of disciples. They've been waiting for it for ages in this upper room, waiting for this gift. And then they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's very presence. And immediately they're propelled out. This guy called Peter, after whom this church takes its name, preached this message. And 3,000 people responded to it, saying, what on earth is going on in that group of people Peter says it's about Jesus, the one who you killed. But though he died, he's risen again, alive amongst us, and invites us to follow him today. I'm praying that there might be some Peters sent out from this church community. You might see similar numbers of people respond to God's message here and now. And then we get to this passage at the end of Acts 2. And it acts a little bit like a summary of everything that's happened so far. A bit like a bullet point uh, journal, taking stock of a big period of time in a few short sentences. It happens quite a few times through Acts, and this is the first of them. And so in Acts 2, starting at verse 42, we get this summary of what's happened. And it acts like a bit of a breaker between what's been and what will come. And it says this, Acts 2, starting at verse 42. They, the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As a church historian called Alan Crider And he says of this passage and about this movement that it's an improbable rise of Christianity in a difficult Roman Empire. Think about it. If you've ever seen the film Gladiator, you know what the Roman Empire was like. It was forceful and it oppressed things which opposed it. And yet this little group of people who said Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, improbably rose from this marginal movement to being the dominant force in the Western world. And I think what we see in this passage is all the factors which brought that about. Over the weeks that to come, we're going to look at them in turn. We're going to look at things like teaching, because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to look at worship, because they gathered in the temple and at home to break bread and to worship Jesus. We're going to think about generosity, as they sold what they had and gave it to those who were in need. We're going to think about signs and wonders, this miraculous element, and loads of other things that we see in this passage. Because I think they are the ingredients, if you like, that were at work in that church community, which made it irresistible. And they're the ingredients that I'm praying would become more and more a part of this church congregation, of St. Peter's as a whole, and then of all the things that we go on to do and to say. Each week we're going to look at one of those things in more depth, as I've said. 
But today, I just wanted to pull out one general thread. On the first day of this new worshipping community, something for us to go away, to think about, and to reflect on ourselves. One of the words that stood out to me as I read that passage in preparation this week was the word every. It happens on a few occasions through this short passage. It says, everyone was filled with awe. It says, everything was held in common. And it says, every day they met together with gladness and worshipped. Everyone, everything, every day. In these few short verses, it comes up time and time again. Everyone was filled in with awe. All those that looked on this church community, none of them thought, yeah, that's normal. That's what I expected. I've seen that before. No big deal. Everyone was filled with awe. The people that made up this community shared everything in common. They didn't say, well, here's some stuff that's just for me. That's kind of behind closed doors. Maybe you can share a little bit of this. Maybe you can have a little bit that I offer. They said, everything is not mine, it's ours. And every day they met together with gladness and worshipped. It wasn't, a, I'll worship on Sunday, I'll do my bit then, but the rest is my time. It wasn't, a, let's put my faith in this little box here. Only let it really take over this part of my life. These were people that were willing to worship every day to read scripture, to pray, to get together, to worship. And they did all this with gladness, if you pick that up from there as well. They did it with a sense of joy and with a sense of delight. I think so many people have got this image of God, which is of someone who makes things harder, who puts burdens on us, who sets these unachievably high standards. And the good news is for us that they did this with gladness because they'd seen Jesus himself. They were filled with his spirit. And so that meant there was a lightness. There was a sense of delight about worshipping him because all the strength that they needed to follow Jesus, all the help that they needed to live his way and not their own is provided to them by God himself. God knows that it's too much for us to follow him with just our willpower alone. He knows that our inclination, our nature is, is inward, it's selfish, it's turned on itself because of sin. And so God says, I'll give you my own Holy Spirit. I'll put my power inside you and that will enable you to start living this new way. This isn't about adding extra things to an already long to-do list. It's about saying, God, I want to be more like this because you've said that that is fullness of life. Please, would you give me your help? Would you give me your spirit? Would you work through me today? It's not so much about striving. It's more about surrendering. It's more about saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Like we've already sung as we begun. What I read when I read this passage is a church that went all in. They weren't half-hearted about this worship. They were willing to give everything every day. They'd seen Jesus and so they loved to give him their lives in response. There's nothing half-hearted here. There's not one for in, one for out. It's a church community that went all in because they'd seen Jesus. They were filled with his spirit. 
And the only possible response to his message and his goodness was to give everything in return. Jesus isn't asking for anything of you that he hasn't already done for you. Think about it. Jesus gave his very life up, going to death on a cross, so that we might know forgiveness, freedom, joy again. He asks of us our lives in return, having already given himself for us. Knowing Jesus is worth everything that he asks us to do for him. Once we've seen and experienced and heard this message, our lives can't return to normal because it's too good. It's too transformative. And it's the kind of thing we want to go after. There's a song I've been listening to all week uh, by a group in a church, really, in the States called Upper Room. They're in Texas, and they've got this song called On the Altar. There's a line that repeats through it that says, you are worth what you asked for. Because really, Jesus asked for quite a lot of us. He's asking us to worship him, to give our lives towards him. And some would say, well, that's too much to ask, isn't it? But what we see from those true words is that Jesus is worth everything that he asks for. Think about it. The king of all. God himself knows your name. Forgives your failures. Puts his own presence inside you to live a new way. To bring a new kingdom about. Jesus is worth everything that he's asked for. So just as that first church community were all in, I encourage you to go all in for Jesus today. You might not know Jesus at all, and today's the day to start following him, to say my all in is to say yes to this new way of living. You might know Jesus, but if you're really honest with yourself, you're a bit one foot in, one foot out. Maybe there's bits that you're willing to give over and bits that you'd really rather hold back. My encouragement to you today is that everything you give to Jesus will be worth it. Equally, you might be all in for God today, saying, Jesus, take everything, have all of me, do anything you want with me. And today's a day to say, give me your Holy Spirit again, that I might keep living in that way. It's not about striving, it's about abiding, abiding in Jesus, staying close to him. And asking him for the power that we need to live for him all out. As we end uh, the message today, I wanted to tell you about a guy called C.T. Studd. I hadn't, well, I had heard of him a couple of times, but heard about him really this week. C.T. Studd was born about 150 years ago. And he was born into great affluence. He was a really wealthy guy. C.T. Stubb was a brilliant cricketer. And they thought that he was going to play for England and travel the world and live this life of influence and affluence and and have all the joys of life, you might say. C.T. Stubb became a Christian when he was at university. And his whole life turned upside down. There was this group that they dubbed the Cambridge Seven, who were these seven people who lived who were born, rather, into great affluence. They were supposed to be the high of society, the prime ministers of the day. But all of them came to Jesus and instead chose to live for him. And they gave themselves up to go all around the world and tell other people about him. 
C.T. Studd himself ministered in India, in Africa, in China. And even when his parents died and passed on this enormous inheritance, he gave it all to the work that he was doing. He wrote this poem, which I want to read for us as we end, as a way of drawing together what I've tried to say today. He wrote this poem about going all in for Jesus. And I believe that as we do that, we will become this irresistible community that others will see and want to be a part of for themselves. What I'm going to encourage you to do is maybe close your eyes to hear these words and maybe use them a bit like a prayer to say, God, would you do this in me? The poem's called Only One Life. And it says this. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, t'will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life, t'will soon be past, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whatever the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. <clears throat> oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Jesus, thank you for giving yourself completely for us. Thank you for sending your spirit to fill and dwell with us now. That we might experience the goodness of your kingdom here and know that we're going to live in it forever. We pray that you would give us a perspective on our lives that knows that everything we do for you is worth it. That going all in for you is the way to life in all its fullness. We ask now that you'd send your Holy Spirit upon us again. That we might become, as you work within us, an irresistible church community. 
that those who don't know you, who see and hear of what you're doing here, would want to be a part of it for themselves. We can't make this happen on our own. We need your help. And so we pray that you'd send your spirit to us in power now.